Hey, good morning and welcome to Breakthrough Walls. I'm Ken Walls and I'm your host. And I have a very special guest on today, Kathleen O'Keefe Cannabis. <laughs> I think I said her name right. I think I got it. We'll see you guys in a second. And we are back and ready to rock and roll. Let me bring Kat on. Kat, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's so good did to I, be here again. Did I get your name right? Yes. It's Yeah, yeah you did. It's cannabis, like cannabis that you smoke, but with a V. <laughs> right. Can, cannabis. Cannabis. Yes. So, so Kat, you um, hopped on a live stream with me the other night to talk about our new book <laughs> that we're both in crappy to happy. There it is. There it is. One of these days, I'm sure I will receive a copy of that as well. <laughs> yeah. Yes. You've got them everywhere. My goodness. <laughs> so, so, so um, we talked a little bit about that and, and I want to, we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more as well. Um, but I want to, so Breakthrough Walls is a show that I started a couple, two and a half years, yeah, two and a half, about two and a half years ago. Um, I've interviewed over 300 celebrities and entrepreneurs, and um, it's really about your life story and how you've overcome some of the hardships and busted through the walls that are holding you back in life and all that. And I know you have an amazing story. So why don't we start? your story with where you were born and raised. I was actually born in Frankfurt, Germany. My dad was uh, in the military at that time. And then he went into special forces. They started grooming him right away for uh, um, intelligence and special forces. So we stayed there. <laughs> he in, never came in back. Germany. In Germany, we used to go to Italy for the summer. So I was I was all over Europe. Um, I was in Greece every Easter. I was in Italy in the summers. I was in Switzerland skiing in the winter. Um, my dad was a ski instructor for special forces. He would jump out of the airplane with his skis on. Oh, <laughs> and, wow. <laughs> so I used, to have to keep, yeah, I used to have to keep up with him, and we went on some pretty hairy ski excursions. I remember one time I went up on the ski lift with him. It was so cold. It was probably like minus 25. And my ski suit froze <laughs> to the oh. T-bar and he had to kind of rip me off of it. Uh, and then, uh, so I did a lot of skiing growing wow. up. Um, and we stayed in Germany because he was so highly trained and he was training other special forces in other countries. So we were in Berlin when the wall went up. Um, I remember my dad disappeared early in the morning with a red alert. We didn't see him for almost a week and he was actually over in East Berlin counting oh. Russian tanks. And then he and his partner, uh, his buddy, team buddy, would go into the local bar 
for the evening and use the phone to call the information back to the United States. <laughs> he was wow. a character. He was really a character. He wasn't really afraid of anything. I mean, to be in the special forces, you would have to have no fear <laughs> <laughs> or very limited amounts of it. So, so you grew up, how long did you live in Germany then? I lived in Germany until I came back to the United States to go to college. I came back without my parents because they, they didn't bring my back, my dad back yet. And so I went through real culture shock. I, um, I thought they were going to send my dad to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. So I, I was accepted at the uh, Murray State University, which, which I loved. I loved Murray State in Kentucky. I love big universities. I love lots of people. I'm, I'm not afraid of people. So I joined a sorority. I realized right away I was a babe in the woods, so I joined a sorority. <laughs> My sorority sisters took care of me, and they took me out to dinner one night. And um, I had no idea that Murray, Murray was a dry county. And I had never heard of that. I grew up drinking wine with every meal and, you know, alcoholism just it wasn't even discussed. No, yeah. you, when you're taught, I think, early how to uh, respect alcohol, yeah. you, you would never disrespect it. So yeah. I went to the, the restaurant and I ordered, I told them I'd like a glass of red wine with my meal. And they said, uh, we're a dry county. And I said, well, I'm sorry, I hope you get rain soon, but I'd like a <laughs> glass of wine. And they said, well, you have to go to Paris to get wine. And I said, why would I get on a jet and go back to Paris for wine? I want it here. And yeah. they're looking at me like I just got off a spaceship because Paris, Kentucky is right next door. Oh, so yeah. long story short, they, um, my parents ended up going to Fort uh, Devens, Massachusetts. So I transferred uh, to uh, Keene State College in Keene, New Hampshire, so I could be closer to them. And that was the first time I was in the States. And I, I got to tell you, um, this country is amazing. This country is second to none. And I can tell you that from someone who grew up in all the other countries. Uh, we had, when I was growing up in, in Germany, we had uh, Radio Free Europe because everything was censored. You still had the communists trying to take over. They were in East Berlin. And uh, I know for a fact that on the debates the other night, the Chinese government censored the debate and it shows you that China, that, that, that communism is not that far away. We have to be really vigilant. Wow. So, so let me ask you this. Do you speak German? I do. Do ich you? Spreche gern Deutsch. Ja, doch. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so, ha but you have like, so you grew up in Germany were you mm -hmm. speaking English the whole time, I guess, then? Well, my, my, my governess was German. She was actually a survivor of um, Auschwitz. And so she had the tattoo in her arm. She was the only one out of her family um, that survived it. So I spoke German during the day, and I spoke English with my parents, but my dad is fluent in multiple languages, German, Polish, uh, Italian, and English. Wow. So I grew up multilingual. I mean, I can go to Italy. I can get around. I can't hold a political conversation, but I can do that pretty much in German. And I, I did it once in, in high school 
uh, our poli-sci teacher invited um, some communist students in to talk about um, the, the, uh, the positive aspects of socialism. <laughs> and they were up at the front of the classroom talking about it. And I, I asked him a question. I said, if, if you were in school right now, and you had to take your A that you that you earned, and you had to give points to the other students in your classroom so that you would only have a C because that's socialism, everything's even. Would you do that? And he said, you know, I don't really understand the question because my English isn't that good. So I said, dann sage ich dir auf Deutsch. And I told him the question again in German, and they left. <laughs> they, they left? Yeah, they left the, yeah, they, they said that they were done and they left. All you have to do is challenge them. Wow. So my gosh, you've been, <laughs> you've seen it then. You've seen it all. Yes. Yeah. Wow. I remember in, when I was in Berlin um, and the grand, see that when they put up the Berlin wall to keep the uh, educated people in there, the working class in there so that they couldn't leave. Uh, and what happened was they took the elderly, the grandparents, uh, the retired age people, and they sent them out because they were a drain on their country. And whereas here in the United States, we cherish our wisdom group. That's what I call them. Our elderly are our wisdom group. And um, I remember when that big group of grandparents came across into uh, West Berlin, the families just ran out and grabbed them and hugged them and took them home. And mm -hmm. if they were grandparents that didn't have a family, suddenly they had one. Wow. I saw, I saw it all. I remember throwing food over the wall in, in Berlin to the East Germans because they were starving. Oh my God. So, so what you're saying then is socialism is not a good thing. I never saw any good in it. No, it's not. It's it's a great utopia dream. But the truth of the matter is what happens is you the first thing they do when you when when you when a country falls and the communists take over, and you can look at Cuba to see this, first thing they do is kill anybody who's intelligent enough to know how to work against them, which is your doctors, your lawyers, your professionals. And then they wow. take people who are uneducated, put them in those positions and tell them now if you want to keep those positions and that little bit of money you you work with us and then you've got a very small percentage of extremely wow. wealthy and they hold everybody else down wow wow so yeah. i don't even know where to go from there <laughs> like, that's unbelievable that yeah. like you've you've lived through all of that you saw it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so you came, so you came to the U S you tried, um, is it Murray state? Is that what it's Murray state in Kentucky? Uh, yeah. Murray state university in Kentucky. Yeah. And I loved it. I, 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 I loved being in a classroom full of 350 people because you start learning from the other students in the room. You've got people yeah. who are brilliant in that room and you're yeah. really going to learn so much. There's so much yeah. intelligence in that room. And when I went to Keene, they were very small classes. And that, and I like that's the very small classes, but you don't have the degree of brilliance 
mm. in a college that you have at a university. You do get the one-on-one, -on -one and, and, and that's nice. And my classes in, at, uh, I, I graduated from Munich American International High School. We had dorms, we had, um, you know, we, all, all the, the, the princes from all over Europe went to school there. So, you know, I was used to large classrooms and I was used to learning a lot from everybody else in the room. And I liked that. Wow. So, but you, when you, when you moved to the, to, you said Massachusetts, mm -hmm. um, you could get wine. <laughs> <laughs> I could. I could. <laughs> no more dry counties. I know. I remember staying in, in Kentucky one night and in a dry county. I'm like, what? Dry county? That Back when I drank, I, I was like, and I I made the drive to go get some booze. But yeah, it's I, it's nuts. But so, so um, let's talk about what it was like for you. You mentioned the the lady that had the tattoo what'd you call her a governor she was a, you know she wasn't really a nanny she was more a governess because i was i was already going to elementary school then and i think i said that she she perished in her her she was in auschwitz she was in auschwitz for a while and then they transferred her to dachau and her family perished in auschwitz and i went and visited dachau when i was in high school because i wanted to see where she had been, and uh, that's actually, I wrote about it in my book, Surviving Cancerland. It was like trying to walk through jello when you walked in there. There's so much emotion still hanging in the air. I'm sure, like, oh my God. So you you called her a governess? What is mm -hmm. what's, what is that? Well, when, when um, in Berlin, see, we, we were what they considered elite. Um, military and so when we moved into our our apartment we were given um an apartment down downstairs uh, in the basement which were the governesses or the maids quarters you could have a governess or you could have a maid mm -hmm. um and then there were more up in in the attic so you were given one and they were given room um uh for free it to the military families Wow. And they had to go through uh, quite a few uh, background searches before they yeah. were given to a family. And so I had my governess uh, talk to Martha for uh, um, all of my elementary school. And then my father was sent to Vietnam. And when he went to Vietnam, I was in um, I was in uh, Fort Campbell, Kentucky. Uh, no, I was in Fayetteville, Kentucky for about eight months because he did not take a leave there. Usually you get R and R a month off. And so then you stay a whole year, but if you don't, you're given uh, a shorter sentence as it were. Yeah. So that, that was, you know, a little shocking when I was there, but again, I was on a military base, so I wasn't in civilian life as right. it were. And um, then we went to Bad Tolts and we stayed in Bad Tolts until I, uh, was then we came back to the States. I lived in Bad Tolts, which is the big special forces stronghold over there. So you, you were, so you didn't even come to the States until you were what, 18, 19 years old. 
Well, I graduated from high school early, and that's a whole other story. They accidentally put me in the wrong grade because <laughs> I went to five different first grades. I have five report cards wow. <laughs> for five different first grades. So the last first grade I went to, um, you know, in special forces, families move as units because the men are in a unit. So when we showed up in Berlin, um, I was supposed to go back into first grade and finish first grade. Okay. But my mother was waiting for the household goods. My dad was gone again. So my mom asked one of our friends who had been in Leipzig with us, uh, that's where the group was before then, to take yeah. me to school and get me registered. So when I was in the office, uh, the principal's office, I said, well, so uh, they said, so what grade are you in? And I said, second. I figured I was done with first. I mean, my God, I'd done it five times, right? So they put me in second grade and it wasn't until the principal called in my parents because I was talking to myself all the time. I was like, oh my God, what is that? <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know how to do that. Um, right. That they realized I was in the wrong grade halfway through the year, but they left me there. So I, I actually graduated at 17. And when wow. I got to, um, when I got to Fort Devens, my other friends who came over from Germany with me, they were a year older than me and they were already 18. So they started working at the officer's club at uh, Fort Devens, Massachusetts. <laughs> I had to wait a year because I wasn't 18 yet. But the next year I started waiting, working there too. And oh my God, I could write a book about that one, Ken. <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, your life, your story is incredible. So you've lived, you... Uh, so growing up in Germany, though, for you, um, what was that like? What was it like living? I mean, you didn't know anything other than that, though. Mm -mm. Is that no. so you were born in Germany, mm -mm. but yes. you're a U.S. citizen like your parents yes. were both from the U.S. Right. But I was born because I was born in Germany. I was born in Frankfurt. I had a dual citizenship and. Yeah. Um, I was German and I was American. And so, um, you know, my parents were worried because both of my parents were orphans and they had been raised in convents. Um, I see Ernest there. He says he has so much in common about schooling. Amazing. Oh, thanks, Ernest. Yeah, he grew uh, up in North Africa, the Middle oh, East, I, and Europe. Oh, yes. He was, I kissed the ground. Yes. You know what? I thought I was the only one that ever said that. When I would land back in the United States, I would almost drop down on both knees and kiss the ground of the United wow. States. It was it, it, Ernest knows what I'm talking about. You have to live it to understand it. Um, yeah, but uh, what was I saying? I got distracted to Ernest because it's like so. It's a, no, yeah, all I know, I was getting. I was <laughs> born in in Germany. Yes, yeah, so I had the dual citizenship, and many of us did. Some wow. had French citizenship and American citizenship, uh, and so my parents were worried that if they got killed, you know, if they, they because my dad was special forces, if they were killed, the Germans would snatch me up because I looked like a German and I spoke German. So they decided they were only going to have me uh, have American citizenship. I would be shipped back to the States. I had no grandparents. I was all alone. So wow. I would have probably been raised as an orphan too. But um, 
I remember my mom was really nervous when I was going in for my citizenship and, and I had to know the Pledge of Allegiance. This was before I, I, I think I was like in first grade, um, one of the first grades. <laughs> and uh, we were, I had to go to Frankfurt where I'd been born. We took the train in there. So I think I was in Berlin, but we had to take the train into Frankfurt. And I remember my mother was so nervous holding my hand. We were walking down the street, there was still rubble in the streets from bombed out buildings in Berlin, wow. in, in Frankfurt. And she said, this is so important, Kathy. This is so important. You really have to convince this judge that you have to be an American, that you want to be an American citizen, that you love America, even though you've never been there. Oh my God. So I remember I walked in and the, and, and the place was packed with people. And the judge was up there and my mom had me by the hand and the judge looked down at me and he said, so Kati, because <laughs> they can't say Kathy, they can't make the TH sound. And that's yeah. why I got the name Kat, because my friend's mothers would always say, Rusty Kat, Rusty Kat. So <laughs> they say, he said, Kati, do you want to be an American citizen? I said, yeah. He goes, okay, sing God bless America for me. So I thought, you know, I have to really impress him. So while I was singing God Bless America, I tap danced to it. I was taking tap dance lessons. Um. <laughs> my mother was mortified. But you know what? When I got done, I got my status, my citizenship and a standing ovation. Oh, <laughs> How old were you? At first grade. Oh, my God. <laughs> Funny. <laughs> oh my god so so you you gave up your dual citizenship mm -hmm. <clears throat> wow yeah wow that's in, intense for a first grader that's really intense that's intense for me at 52 for a first grader <laughs> that's insane so so um okay so so let's go back to so you grew up there and and I do want to get into some of your um, your uh, as a kid you had a gift, and um, people people you you told me the other day people often referred to you as as crazy <laughs> or something, something along that line. But you had you had this gift, and you told me the other day. Um, that that you saw something on your pillow at nine years old. What what was tell that story if you don't mind? Sure, we were living in Berlin, and um, the wall had gone up, and so the mothers from all the all the husbands in the unit all kind of stayed close together. So we were all over at one of my best friend's house tap dancing off. <laughs> yes, Andy, it was wild. Um, so we were sitting there playing with our Barbie dolls. Um, you know, I, I was still just in, <laughs> I should have been in first grade, but I was actually in second then. Yeah. And so a lot was happening that year. I just got my citizenship and here I am sitting in, in uh, the living room with my girlfriends playing on the floor while our mothers are sitting at the dining room table talking because they're scared. They're giving each other comfort. Um, their husbands are gone, the wall's gone up, there's Russian tanks facing off American tanks, it's just scary. Uh, and one of the mothers said to another mother, you know, Kathy's gonna get married, she's gonna be the first one to get married. 
And my mom said, why is that? And she said, because she, she's so cute. She's the cutest. And um, my mom looked down at me and she said, are you going to get married early? And I said, no, I'm not getting married till I'm like 27, 28. And, and I don't know if I'm going to have kids. I might have one. And they all laughed. They thought that was really, really funny. And then another mother said, um, and, and I, Kathy, are you going to marry a prince because you're such a little princess? And I said, no, I'm marrying a millionaire. And they all laughed. <laughs> they thought that was so funny. And my, and my mom says, what makes you think you're going to marry a millionaire? And I said, well, because I've seen him. I know what he looks like. Now, right away, they're all thinking pedophile, right? <laughs> yeah, right. And my mom goes, where did you see a man, a millionaire? And I said, I've seen him in my dreams. Oh, they all thought that was hysterical. They were all laughing now. And, and my mom said, where did you see him in your dreams? I said, I see his face on my pillow. It's the face <laughs> on my pillow. I know what he looks like. And I, I think I probably described him. He's got big brown eyes and brown hair. And, you know, it's like kind of generic, right? Yeah. And then fast forward almost 20 years. And uh, I'd been engaged already, broke it up, because the guy that I was engaged to, his face was not the face on the pillow. And I walk into a Sadie Hawkins Day party, and I'm sitting at a table, and the face on the pillow walks up to my table and asks me to dance. And that was wow. my husband. And when he heard, when he realized I spoke German, he's fluent in German. And we spoke German all night long. <laughs> Tom oh, goes, I wow. love your humor. Tom, thank you. And so um, we were together then every single day for three years, got married, and we've been married almost 40 years. Jeez, that is absolutely so cool. And he's a millionaire. <laughs> yes, right. <laughs> or is he broke? No. <laughs> I'm kidding. No, he's not. Like, he's not broke. So. You no, know, he's, he's a little more broke after he married me because. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what can I say? <laughs> oh, my God. I funny. like the Chanel shoes. What can I say? <laughs> I was oh never into God. the hippie garb. No, it was all over <laughs> Europe. I was like, no, 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 no. I, I want stuff straight out of Paris. <laughs> that is so funny, my guy. <laughs> oh, he's, he's closing all of his credit card accounts as we speak. So, <laughs> so, so. Well, you're going to get to meet him, Ken, because I, I already told him about you, and he wants to. He wants to contact you and have you on his show to talk about. Quantum spirituality. I would love, love, love that. So, so okay. I want to. I want to talk about. Um, you mentioned what was it the other night? I was just getting ready to ask you something. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. Your your story is absolutely mind blowing. And um, oh no, what was it? Ugh. Oh, when I said, when I remember when I said to you, oh my gosh, I, your dad was special forces. I can't imagine being the first guy to go out on a date <laughs> with you. Tell, tell that story. That is ridiculous. I, I, if you were my daughter, we would have had serious words afterwards, but tell that story. I love the story. So the first guy to take you out on a date. Well, I wasn't allowed to date in high school okay. at all. So it wasn't until I went away to college. And then when I went away to college, 
um, I really, I really wasn't interested in any of any of the guys. Um, and he, yeah, what's Tom saying? I'm sure he is richer for having you. And it's all oh, Tom. <laughs> I'm going to tell him you said that. <laughs> I need to. So um, I didn't date at all in college. And uh, when we moved to Fort Devens, Massachusetts, um, finally uh, that summer, that first summer when I wasn't able to work in the officers club because I wasn't old enough yet. I wasn't 18 yet. Um, wow. I, uh, my dad said, hey, look, if you, if you can find an officer to date you, that's fine. He's got to call me up and ask permission first and then um he's got to come home and have dinner with us i've got to meet him i'm like okay i can do this and through my girlfriends i met his commanding officer so <laughs> <his> commanding <laughs> officer called my dad on the, i said he asked me out and i said look I, you know i hate to tell you this but you're gonna have to call my dad on the phone and ask him to take me out i said this is just the way it is he's high, he's more highly trained than you are so you might want to do that so <laughs> <laughs> he did. He called my dad and asked permission to, to date me. And my dad invited him for dinner. And then my dad had to call him sir across the table. Oh, my God. <laughs> that was really funny. Oh, my gosh. That's terrible. <laughs> that's, I couldn't even imagine. Uh, so, so. Well, okay, so you 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 were. Let's go back to Massachusetts. You you go. You, you were in college. You went through college, graduated college, right? Mm -hmm. What's your degree in? Psychopathology, abnormal psychology. It's great training for for marriage. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I taught the profoundly emotionally disturbed for ten years, and then I taught psychology at USF. Wow. So so what? But all along the the path you you knew you had this gift mm -hmm. and and the gift that you have is talk about it that the the gift is actually a gift that i think was genetically handed to me from my grandparents um, my mother may have had it as well, but she was raised in a convent with nuns and I think they pretty much beat her, beat it out of her. Wow. And she used to tell me, you don't tell anyone that you can speak to the dead, that you can see people that are dead, that you have dreams about the dead. You don't tell anyone ever. Okay. So I said, okay. She said, you put all of that away because in Berlin, in, in the book that I, I wrote, Surviving Cancerland, I talk about how haunted Berlin is. And the brand new building that we lived in, that, that, that building that had the maids quarters, it was gorgeous. It was a beautiful brand new building. They had to throw those buildings up very quickly and they used everything available to them, including the rubble. And wow. there were bodies, I believe, in that rubble. So every night at, at midnight, almost every night, I would hear German soldiers' boots marching down the hallway past my bedroom. And there was one officer, one officer that would stop at my bedroom door. And he was smoking a cigarette looking at me because he knew I could see him. And I would be so scared that I would just be under the covers shaking and sweating. And it was freezing. It was freezing in Berlin. 
It's practically in Scandinavia. It's so cold up there. And uh, I would run as soon as he moved away from my bedroom and through the wall with the other soldiers. I would run and climb in bed with my mom. And she would ask me, did you wet the bed? Because I'd be soaking wet. I was so frightened. As soon as we left Berlin, that stopped. So I wrote about that in the book, Surviving Cancerland and all the other strange, ghostly things that that happened in Berlin. So um, when my mother had always told me, you don't tell anybody any of this ever, ever. Um, so I didn't. <laughs> I locked it away in a closet. They might think and you're crazy. They might think I was crazy. I locked it away. Um, you know, wow. my dad would just kind of stand there and look at me like my daughter speaks to the dead. We're not telling anybody. <laughs> and he was probably thinking, I wonder if it's any of the people I knew. <laughs> so I, you know, went back. I came to the States. I got married and everything. And I took that gift and I put it in a closet and I locked it. I never talked about it. I kept it quiet. It was a secret. I kept that secret. And then fast forward to about a few years after I was married, um, I had gone in for my yearly mammogram, blood test, physical, the whole works. And I got paperwork that said I was healthy and to go and to go home. Um, so I went home and that night, basically my spirit guides and guardian angels that I had locked in that closet blew the doors right off that closet and they came into to my dream and it was really interesting how it happened Ken I was just dreaming my regular dream because I am a lucid dreamer yeah and uh, all of a sudden my dream froze it froze like the computer will freeze and I'm standing in my dream going my dream just froze. <laughs> that's that's weird. My dream just just froze. And then there's a pop up window that happened, and I went, oh my God, that's a pop up. Um, and the pop up started moving. There was movement. It was like I was looking through a window, and the window turned into a door. And through that door walked a Franciscan monk, and he had on a brown robe. He had his hood up. He had a rope belt on. He had the leather sandals. He walked up to me and he said, we have something to tell you. Come with us. Wow. And I thought, well, this is really weird. I remember thinking to myself, this is strange. Wow. But I followed him through what I call the, 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 the um, sacred dream doors to the divine. And he led me into the room between realms. That's what I call it. It's a room of neither the living nor the dead. But the living can go there to visit the dead and get information a bit like the Akashic records. Wow. And he took my hand and he put it on my breast and he said, do you feel that? And I said, yeah. He said, that's breast cancer. You go back to your doctor tomorrow and you tell him you need a second set of tests. And then he walked me back through the dream door, which then disappeared. And my dream started right back up where it had stopped because time had stood still. I was on what Einstein called the time continuum. Wow. I finished my dream that night. I woke up in the morning and I said to my husband, now at this point, my husband didn't even know I was psychic. Wow. <laughs> I married that poor man and he had no idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. I kept it so quiet. And so I told him, I said, I had a really strange dream and I'm going back to the doctor in Boston tomorrow. And he goes, why? I said, because I think the tests were wrong. And he was looking at me like, what are you kidding me? 
but he went with me. Thank goodness. He, you know, he, he <laughs> stood behind me wow. and I went in and I told my doctor, I said, look, I think something's wrong with the test. I want a second set of tests. So he ended up giving me the same test again. And the results were the same. I was healthy. Go home again. I had the dream that night with the Franciscan monks coming in. This happened for three months. I had those same three, three dreams. In the last dream, when I saw the monks walk through the through the sacred doorway, I started crying in my dream. And I said, look, I know why you're here, but there's nothing I can do. The doctors won't listen to me and I can't perform my own second set of tests. So if wow. I really am sick, if I really do have cancer, do something to help me. If I'm supposed to live, do something to help me. And the monk reached into his sleeve pulled out this little tiny white feather and he handed it to me and he said, this is an angel feather. You use it like a sword to cut through all the arguments of your doctor. And now you need exploratory surgery. So go back tomorrow without an appointment, just show up. So I did, I went back, no appointment, just showed up. My doctor ushered me back into his office. I told him I needed exploratory surgery. He looked like I had just doused myself with gasoline and set myself on fire. Wow. <laughs> and he said, no, I can't do it. I, I, I can't do that. It's against my policy. It's against hospital policy. You are so healthy. He said, go home. And I said, no. I said, you're my doctor. You have to help me. I know something's wrong. And then I imagined that feather, Ken. I imagined that feather in my fingers. And I imagined pointing it at him. And I said, help me. And it was like somebody glamored him. You know, we see those vampire movies where they glamour them and they go, oh, yeah, yeah you're right. I need to go jump off the roof. That's what <laughs> yeah. he did. He went in, he made an appointment. I had surgery scheduled three days after New Year's. And um, I was in stage two breast cancer with it in my lymph nodes. Oh, my God. So, but let me, let me ask you this. I have a question, especially if I'm going to talk to your husband about quantum. <laughs> so, so I believe, you know, Dr. Wayne Dyer tells a story in one of his books about um, a guy that locked himself accidentally in a freezer car, a railroad freezer car over a whole entire weekend. And, and he, they found him dead on Monday morning in this freezer car frozen to death. But then after they investigated, they found that the, the car was literally like 60 degrees. It had been in for maintenance. It wasn't frozen at all. He just believed it so strongly that he actually froze to death in mm -hmm. 60 degrees. That's not cold. I mean, it's chilly, but it's not going to kill you, right? Mm -hmm. So so what about that side of it? What about the, the, the body follows what the mind believes? Is there any... What about people that say, well, you convinced yourself you had cancer, so you developed it? Mm -hmm. That's a good That's a good question. That's an excellent question. Um, I had another dream after that. And in the dream, it's what, while I was going through treatment, I uh, walked into an, a doctor's office. And I'm sitting down and I'm noticing a lot of people in the office who have been in my, in my dreams also. It's like a lot of myself were in there. Wow. And the door opens, a doctor walks out, she walks up to me, gives you know, gives me her hand to shake it, says, Hi, I'm Dr. Jules, I'm your physician within. And all of a sudden, three crabs 
come out of nowhere and they're scurrying across the floor to a door that leads to the basement. And she yells at me, catch them. And I give chase and I chase these crabs down a flight of stairs into the dark basement. And I'm thinking if they get loose in the basement and I don't find them, they're going to be able to grow and, 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 and just grow through my whole basement. And I screamed, stop. And they stopped. And I reached down and there was a plastic container in my hands with water. And I scooped them up in the water and the crabs pulled their, uh, their legs and their claws in and turned into three beautiful pearls. And when I woke up in the morning, I thought, three pearls, three crabs? There, there was cancer in one breast with a lymph node. Where's the third crab? Five years later, the dream came to fruition. I had my third cancer removed at that time. It's yeah. been almost 20 years and it hasn't come back. So that's wow. a precognitive dream. I didn't create the cancer. Yeah. I had wow. the precognitive dream. And then the other book that I wrote with Dr. Larry Burke, who's chief of radiology at Duke University Medical. Yeah. He um, contacted me to be one of his test subjects because he was doing uh, research on dreams that diagnose breast cancer. And he was looking for a 20th woman to be in his test group for Duke wow. University. And he had heard about my story and he'd read my book, Surviving Cancerland. And so I said, yeah, sure, I'll, I'd love to do that. And so when the testing was done, there were 20 women who had had dreams about their breast cancer that then went to the doctors and had pathology reports confirm the dreams. And so when the testing was all done, and he had written all of his research up and it was published in the journals, medical journals. I said, so, you know, Larry, what are you going to do with all this information? And he said, well, it's, it's published. It's done. I said, why don't we write a book together? So long story short, we wrote Dreams That Can Save Your Life. It's got 30 stories in there of people whose dreams diagnose their illness. But there's a section in the book that just blows everything else away. It's called Dreaming for Others. And with dreaming for others, people like daughters dreamed their mother's cancers and mothers dreamed their daughter's cancers. And complete strangers called up somebody and said, I met your daughter from the other side that had died. And she told me to call you and tell you you're going to have a heart attack. And when you start to feel the heart attack, immediately dial 911 and they'll be able to keep you alive. That's wow. in the book. All of these dreams were validated with pathology reports. And when I was on the Dr. Oz show, he had all my reports in his hand. He had called every single one of my doctors. Wow. So people can dream for other people. So that means that they're not, the information isn't in their mind, although that can happen. Yeah. We're, 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 we have id, ego, super ego, and all kinds of other things in our head. Yeah. And when our body is off, our brain, our computer picks it up first and can speak to us in our dreams. But that doesn't explain how other people can dream for other people. And I've done that for other people. I've dreamed for other people. Wow. That is so powerful. And that's because so I believe we're connected by universal oneness and what yeah. I called, you know, quantum entanglement. 
We are all connected. We're all connected. I agree. Totally agree. So, so with the, but you do believe that, that you do believe in, in what I was talking about as well. Yes. Yes, I do. I do. And, and I kind of touched on that. I believe that our brain, um, our, our dreams are, are, are housed in our brain. Um, you know, they're not in our soul. They're in our brain. Yeah. Our brain is in a sleeping state and it's extremely active at that time. Yeah. And so when our brain knows that something is wrong, it will speak to us through our dreams. And that's why I tell people it's so important to keep a dream journal because yeah. your brain, we only use 10% of our brain when we're awake. Yeah. That other 90% cuts loose when we're dreaming. So imagine if you were able to use 90, that other 90% in yeah. your dreams to speak to you. If you write your dreams down and learn that dream language that your brain is teaching you using signs, symbols, and synchronicities that you then see in the waking world, you're going to be above everybody else because you're going to have an edge. And let me tell you a little bit about that edge psychics all find each other. We just do. <laughs> we, we find each other. If we've got gifts, we find each other. I know some yeah. of your, the people listening to the show are, and they, you know, kind of piped in. Yeah. And there was the first big crash um, that we had not that long ago. It said, Ernest says, yes, we're all connected. Just listening to your story. When there was the first big crash um, and people went from being multimillionaires to pulpers overnight. Yeah. Not just myself, but many other psychics had dreams about it. Just like with 9-11. I had dreams about 9-11 four days before it happened, and it's in my book as well. I wow. dreamed that, that that crash was going to happen. And so I woke up. When I woke up, I told my husband, and he said, you know, I had the same dream too. We pulled all our money, and we were okay. People who didn't believe in their dreams, probably got that same information because like I said, we're connected by universal oneness and, and quantum entanglement. Wow. They lost a lot of money. So your dreams can help you achieve your goals in your waking world, whether it's love, like mine with the face on the pillow, or business, like my dream about there's going to be a crash. We've got to get our money out. Wow. Wow. So, and, and, um, Ina, I think it's Ina, Mm -hmm. right? Is that right? Ina, great idea to keep a dream journal. And, and we talked on, uh, touched on that a little bit the other night, but, um, I asked you before, do you think that this this gift this reading into your dreams do you think that it's a gift that's available to to anyone Mm -hmm, i do i really do um because my degree is in psychopathology and 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 i and i studied a lot of psychology i realized that we are made of id ego and super ego and those those parts of ourselves speak to us in the dream world as well. Um, so by keeping a dream journal, we learn our own dream language. Everything dreams. We're born dreamers. 
Yeah. It's as we grow up that we're told, put those dreams aside. They're for children. They're not. They're for successful people. Yeah. And a lot of the big companies, the big IT companies, now require that their employees daydream 20% of the day. Why? Because they're connecting to that other 90% of their brain and they're yeah. coming up with fabulous ideas. I love so, that. Keep a dream journal. And this is what I would suggest to your to your audience because I can tell they're above average. <laughs> keep yeah. a dream journal, keep a day journal. I did that also while I was going through treatment. What I would find is I would find the synchronicities during the day journal in from yeah. my dreams. And that's how you start learning your language and you start learning how to watch for synchronicities in your waking world which are your validations. My validation for my dream that I had the breast cancer was the pathology report. And you know what? The doctors couldn't argue with that. It was their report. Wow. You know, I, there's a, I, I'm looking it up in the background and I, I, cause I wanted to make sure that I had the title of it correct. Um, there's a book called Awareness written by Anthony DeMello, who was a Jesuit priest. And, and in that book, and I'm, I'm trying to recall from memory, but he talks about that we are in a dream. We, we are dreaming 24 hours a day that we're not really awake 24 hours a day. And he explains it that, that exactly what you're saying, he explains it in this book that like you can, you just have to go. And that's why I meditate every single day of my life is I, I'm trying to tap into that, that, that unconscious awareness that, that we all have, but most of us don't go looking for it. Mm -hmm. And, and so I, this, wow. <clears throat> so, um, what, look, Cynthia says, wow, this is a thing. When I was in second grade in California, I used to dream that my mother died in the back of my mind. I always knew. It was my job to take care of her and my brother and sisters. Wow. Wow. And Tom Ginn says, I agree with all you are teaching. Oh, thank you, Tom. Wow. So, um, my gosh, I, I, I could talk to you literally all day about this. I love this topic. I love it. What about, and, and I'm going to ask you a question completely off the rails here. Okay. I'm ready. <laughs> you ready? Yeah. You ready? Um, she's all Cynthia said her mother died her junior year. Wow. Oh, that's painful. Yeah. Uh, it's hard to it's hard to lose our mother at any time. But yeah. when we're in our junior year of high school and we're getting ready to become a senior, which is really difficult enough to go through that year grieving, I can't even imagine. You've got to be a very strong woman. Well, she's, she's tying it back to, she was dreaming about it before it happened. In wow. second, yeah. In second grade. And you know, sometimes that happens because our inner selves and our spirit guides and guardian angels, we're all born with one. Uh, you know, they, they take their job of keeping us safe very, uh, seriously. And, um, they may have felt that they needed to give you forewarning very far in advance so that you could adjust to the fact that this was going to happen. It needed to happen for wow. something. Wow. So what are you going to hit me with, Ken? <laughs> what about, okay, I, I'm going to hit you with it. 
Um, <laughs> this is where we either lose most of our audience or we gain a bunch. <laughs> I'm kidding. What about what about God? Mm-hmm. What about the existence of of God, of the creator of of the of all of this, right? I mean, mm-hmm. where does God fit in in into all of this for you in your mind? Oh, God is is such an important part of my life because nothing happens without His permission. The rule of permission. In, in the waking world, the sleeping world, the psychic world is so important. Uh, you know, your spirit guides can't help you unless you ask them. Uh, you, you cannot speak to a deceased loved one without permission. They can't come back. They cannot bug you. And, and what a lot of people, Toklu, oh, Ernest, I love that name. Um, and Ernest is talking about his guardian angel. Uh, yeah, we all have guardian angels, and sometimes they share their names with us. Sometimes they don't. Uh, guardian, a guardian angel can also be a pet. Uh, our pets come back to us during our times of need. And wow. so, um, you know, without permission from God, um, nobody can can bother you. And uh, you know, people say, "Well, why doesn't he? Why doesn't he uh, save us from everything that we're going to through?" Well, that might be because a lot of what we're going through, including me with my three breast cancers, are something I decided to do before I was born. And I'm going to end. I know we're getting close to the end, so I'm going to end it with a very uh, special dream. After I had been, and, and it involves God, and after I had been uh, diagnosed finally with the pathology report after I fought with the doctors again uh, to do additional testing. Um, yes, you're right. Uh, Ina, uh, God does let us dream. Um, he sends our spirit guides. He sends our guardian angels. And so after I'd been diagnosed with recurrence that was nine by 11 centimeter tumor, I was sure I wasn't going to live. I, I knew it. I, I just, and I remember I surrendered. I, I, said to God, okay, uh, if you want me, fine. Um, if you don't, help me. And, and I was so depressed and crying so hard. I went up and laid down on the bed to, to, to take a little nap. I'd also had another operation and anesthesia yeah. just knocks the bejabbers out of me. So I fell asleep on the bed and I dreamt that I woke up and standing beside the bed were the three monks again. And they looked down at me. And I looked up at them and I said, look, I know why you're here. I understand I'm dying. I'm okay with it. But let me tell you, before I get up there to heaven, you may want to warn God that I'm coming because I've got some really big bones to pick with him. There's <laughs> nothing I've ever done in this lifetime or past lifetimes to deserve this crap. Just between you and me. Okay? Just so you might want to go up and tell him. And they and they just kind of looked at me and they laughed. And, and they said, Kathy, don't you remember? And I said, remember what? They said, you told God before you were born, you wanted to come down onto the earth plane during a time when God was being taken out of everything. Churches were being taken down. Everything religious was being locked away. And you wanted to show, and science was being worshipped as God. You wanted to show that science goes so far, and then comes God. We told you then we'd be with you every step of the way, and we have been. And I looked at them and I said, what the heck was I smoking up there? 
And they <laughs> said that crap. And they laughed and they just walked away out of my dream. And I suddenly realized all the crap I was going through, all the surgeries, all the pain, I chose to do that. It was my life purpose. And God was giving me permission to live my life purpose. And he was not interfering. Wow. So that's something I want your audience to take away with them today. All the crap wow. you're going through <laughs> with COVID, you, God's giving you permission to do it because you chose to before you came here. You chose that big picture. And then there's all the little things that happen around it, including the people you meet. Like you and me, Ken. Oh my gosh. I, I, I'm so, and, and unless if you have to go tell me, but we're, I, I'm, I'm, we're on the, it's my show. We can go all day if we want. <laughs> <laughs> so if we go over a little bit, that's fine. But I, I, I so what about, I, I've had this weird, and I, I, when I read, Wayne Dyer talked about that he believed that he was, um, um, uh, who was it? The um, St. Francis of Assisi mm -hmm. at, at some point. And like, and I, ever since I read that, I'm like, man, I just, I feel because the, the, the prayer of St. Francis is so, I, I, I love the prayer of St. Francis, you know, God make me an instrument of thy peace and, and, and everything else. And so what about people that think that, and I'm one of those people I used to be that, that psychics, that's witchcraft. That's, that's terrible. That's, that's anti-Christian stuff. And what, what about that? I mean, I believe you, trust me, I believe mm -hmm. you, but but what about the people that don't? What about those that are that are maybe stuck in some sort of of dogmatic religious teaching that they can't get past? Mm -hmm. What do you say to them? I tell them, um, you know, God doesn't make mistakes, and He made me. So if if I'm in front of them now, talking to them, there's a reason God sent me, and I don't step over anyone. So. And I look at it this way, I'm probably planting seeds in their mind. I'm very gentle with them. It's yeah. not that they're hateful people, they're frightened people. And we have a lot of very frightened people in this country right now because yeah. they've lost their faith. They're listening to science and they're losing their faith. Um, mm. If you're not supposed to die, you could catch COVID 10 times, you're still not gonna die. If right. you're supposed to die, you're going to fall down a flight of stairs, break your neck, boom, you're gone. So right. trust in the fact that you're here for a purpose. Nobody just happens accidentally. Even if your parents told you you happened accidentally in the backseat of that old Ford, you did. <laughs> you happened accidentally on purpose and you have a life purpose and you can connect with that through your dreams and God will embrace you because now you're working together again right that's beautiful i love that why did it have to be a ford why not a mercedes it could be a mercedes <laughs> <laughs> the fords the old fords had those really big back seats <laughs> a lot better <laughs> oh my gosh oh you are a 
just a gift. You are such a gift and such a blessing. And I am so grateful to call you a friend. You're oh, you're a wonderful, wonderful you. woman. Thank you oh, so much. I am so excited. We're in this book together. I am and too. you know, Patricia and I, uh, Ariel, okay. Patricia and I are talking about the third book already. I hope you're going to be in that next book with us too. Oh, I'd love to be. And, Hold and that up awesome. closer to the camera so people can see that. Crappy to happy, true stories of grit, grace, and love with mm -hmm. Reverend Ariel Patricia. Kathleen, Bernie mm -hmm. Siegel. We didn't even talk about him. He's amazing. Oh, he's a hoot. <laughs> oh, he's a, he is. Reverend Temple Hayes, she's amazing. <clears throat> and who's that Ken Walls guy is on there? Wow. So who is he? I've been trying to find him. <laughs> everybody should go get Crappy to Happy. I in fact I put it in my Amazon store so you can go to kenwalls.shop and pick it up. But and then I, I honestly think that they, how many books do you have out? Um, I have my surviving cancer land is out, uh, that, that, um, and I, that's also on audible audible came out on that book because it was doing so well and it won three book awards. And then I did the book with Dr. Larry Burke dreams that can save your life. Um, wow. and that, and so we were on Dr. Oz and the doctors show with that book. So, um, wow. I'm hoping to get, you know, these the stories in this book are so good i'm gonna see if i can get us on something big with this book too that's awesome that's so awesome you're amazing i am so grateful to 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 call you a friend oh, thank you ken I, I, I am i'm so grateful that you spent the time with us this morning and i can't wait to get to know you and your husband better like you guys are you, if he's as, even half as cool as you are, I'm going to love <laughs> he him. He is. He is. He'll love him. He's wild. <laughs> he said he is. That's yeah. so awesome. Any yeah. any last, uh, and, and I, I want to make this the, the last thing that we talk about real fast. Mm -hmm. I always ask this question, and that is, and the number, well, let me tell you the number one answer to this question is fear. It's the number one answer. So you have to do better than that. Um, what holds people back in life from experiencing true success and happiness? Well, fear is one of them. Another one is the voices in their head from the past. You're not good enough. You're not smart enough. You can't do that. And I tell people when somebody tells you you can't do something, what they're really doing is projecting. And again, this is the, you know, the, the psychology professor coming out. They're projecting. They're basically saying, I couldn't do that, so you can't. Because if you can do it and I can't, it's going to make me feel bad. <laughs> so just look at them and say, I hear you. I always believe that no to me when the doctors would say, no, you can't do that. I would start again at the next level up. And I beg you all to do the same thing. Um, you can go to my, my website, KathleenO'KeefeCannabis.com or The Queen of Dreams and send me messages about how people are telling you you can't do anything. And I'll tell you a hundred times, yes, you can. Mind over matter. If you don't mind it, it doesn't matter. If you don't think about the negativity, it won't happen. Wow. The I'm typing this in the queen of dreams.com. Mm -hmm. 
That's so amazing. Let's put that up on the screen so we have. And you also have a free gift on that website for you too. Up there in the right-hand corner where Uh you see uh, all of my social media pages and everything, there's a free gift for you. Click on it and it's the video 101 dream course that I did. I'm giving the 101 away because I'm getting ready to do 102. Wow. So the queen of dreams.com. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kathleen O'Keefe cannabis. I said it. I know I got it right. <laughs> You're awesome. I've, I, I, I'm just, I'm thank you for being on. Thank here today. you. Thank you for having me. Call me back anytime. I would love to do that. So let me don't hang up on me. I'm going to end the live stream Everybody, go follow Kathleen. Go order the book, um, Crappy to Happy. Go pick it up today. Looks like a couple of people have already. So thank you so much for being on. You're amazing. And we will see you all later. Thank you, Kathleen. Thank you. All right. Bye, everybody.